I'm Robin Morning, and this is Liberation Labs Radio, a podcast about experimental practices, generative storytelling, and radical love lessons guiding healers and carers toward anti-oppressive and liberatory healership, business, and relationship. This is a show where we will learn what it means to be mental health care providers, community healers, and cultural workers in an era that demands generative imagination and brave movement toward liberatory healing futures. All right. Hi, Allie. Thank you for coming on today to talk about our liberation ship. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. And for um, everyone listening, uh, we are going to be talking about how we integrate our abolitionist and liberation values and practices in our actual relationship. So, and we are calling it a liberation ship because we just think that's really fun and neurodivergent people like to make up words. So there we go. (laughs) True story. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, we have been friends now for how it feels like a lifetime, especially in COVID times feel like COVID times is a separate lifetime. Um, I think since 2018, fall that sounds 20, right. Yeah. Fall of 2018, mm-hmm. we met at a networking group that neither one of us are a part of anymore, <laughs> um, for specific reasons. Um, but yeah, here we are. We, we had lots of fun in coffee shops, pretending to work, um, <laughs> work together on our, our stuff, our projects. Um, but we mainly just talked and shared so much of our lives and ideas and what was happening and going on. And, uh, then the pandemic came and we were relegated to relationshiping over zoom and voice message, which works really well. (laughs) Um, and it's a lot of fun and it's given us a lot of time and space to talk through and process what we're centering in our own journeys related to different forms of liberation and abolitionist praxis and just all of the things that we learn from each other and from all kinds of other folks in the world doing amazing work, creating transformative art, like all the things that we encounter we have a lot of time and space to process those things and share with each other. Um, and so <clears throat> it feels to me that our relationship is very much a, a safe place to explore and process and practice and provide feedback. And I don't know, some, you know, boundaries and like a practice space um, for trying new things and trying to liberation ship, <laughs> uh, as I've really been really appreciative of that experience. And I don't think that we set it out. We didn't set out to do that, right? Like we didn't call each other and say, Hey, let's do this thing. It just happened naturally. And I think it's because both of us have a perspective and a commitment to liberatory relationship. Um, and not just externalizing our values around justice and 
um, abolition and dismantling systems of oppression to the systems and institutions that we're a part of, you know, law, policy, that kind of stuff. We don't stop there. Um, I don't even think that's where we start. I feel like you and I are always in the relationship aspect of things. And then we apply that to any system we're wanting to change, any institutional shift or um, new way of navigating community and what, how we're showing up in community. I feel like that's how we do it. We are just, we seem to just be wired that way. I don't, it feels like I'm wired that way. Um, to recognize and to practice all the things, all the abolitionist things in the context of relationship first and always, um, because we're people in relationship and people make up the systems and structures that are created. So I don't feel like it's been really hard to integrate that with you. Um, I would love to know what you think. What do you think? How's that felt for you over the last few years? You know, it's, it's felt really natural. Um, it hasn't felt like work and it's something I think, like you said, we didn't sit down and have a conversation. Like, here's how we're going to integrate abolitionist values into our relationship. It just sort of happened. And it's really, for me, it's taught me so much about abolitionist praxis and how to approach liberatory work. Because you're right, the, the systems that we are pushing against are made up of people. Mm-hmm. And the changes that need to happen need to happen on a personal level and a relational level before they can happen on a systemic level. And what I found in our relationship, the ways that we have approached it have given me so much more hope and direction, I think, um, for making change in the future that feels more liberatory and more human, um, more humane. You know, it's it's so easy to think about all the things that, you know, all the shifts that I want to see in the world and feel really overwhelmed and daunted. And then I think about our relationship and how it is so different for me than other relationships I've had because of the time of my life where it, when it entered my life, um, I was just coming into abolitionist knowledge and awareness at the time. Um, I was, I was a baby in a lot of ways I still am. Right. And I think because of the time in my life, the era in which we met and all the things that were happening for me, I approached the relationship more intentionally and just differently than I ever have before. And it's been a, a game changer specifically in the relationship, but also in my ability to hope and to see the potential for an abolitionist future. Mm, yes. Yeah. When you were talking, I, I had this kind of vision around like liberation and abolitionist praxis really does feel like uh, a series of interconnected relationships. And if ever I feel dismayed at you know, any of our systemic issues or lack of change on a societal level, um, which is quite often, (laughs) um, (laughs) I remember that, that 
I, I'm going to say that's okay, but I'm not saying it's okay that our society is not making the shifts it needs. What I mean is it's going to be okay because liberation resides within these series of interconnected relationships. Like that is where the refuge is. That is where the radical imagination happens. That is where co-creation happens. And so as long as we have that, as long as we have these relationships that we are able to cultivate and sustain, then, then that is the discipline of hope for me. Um, as long as I have access to that, access to people and community willing to practice, willing to um, make brave steps forward with one another and as a collective, then I feel okay, not going to sink in the quicksand or, you know, feel lost in the dark. Um, because that really is the, the crux of things. And um, most of the time, even when we're trying to make change in the context of a, a workplace or um, a societal institution, we often run into so many barriers and the, the projects we're working on end up either maintaining the harmful status quo um, or creating a new one um, and isn't making the change that we really want because we, we forget and we don't link it to the actual practice that happens in the relationships and um, how, how we are conditioned and, and taught to care for one another. So <clears throat> I think a lot about that. And, uh, and, and then I remember like, it's okay if we don't know how to make this external change yet in this policy, let's keep practicing with each other and, and discover what comes out of that. Um, I feel as though that's where those come from. And then thinking about how at first, we didn't set out to do this, right? Like we didn't, like we said, we didn't call each other up and say, let's do this. But I don't want folks to think that we're not intentional. <clears throat> At this point, especially, and a few couple of years ago, we became much more intentional and in asking each other, you know, hey, can we talk about this certain topic or um, asking one another all kinds of questions to get to know each other and get to, get comfortable in the nuances and complexities and gaining clarity around what we want and need out of relationship and how we want to be seen and heard and regarded and supported through all kinds of shifts. And I feel like we've gone through a lot of shifts um, over the last couple of years, especially. Um, and so we very purposefully engage in relationship with each other now. And I think that is one of the, for me, it's one of the tenets of um, liberatory relationship. It is, it is applying, it is being in the relationship purposefully and intentionally and not just one-sided, right? Like not, my, not just my intention for the relationship and not just your intention, but those two plus like what, what do we want our relationship to, to do and be in our lives? Like, how do we want it to thrive? What, what role do we want it to have? And so we have conversations about that. It, sometimes they're 
20 seconds and sometimes they're two hours, you know? (laughs) Um, and so we are very intentional and I, and I think that that intentionality and purposeful connection, um, with each other is something that's really important in liberatory relationships and in, um, community care in general, because, um, we're not usually, you know, we're not usually socialized that way anymore in an individualistic society. And, you know, we're able to have this, this deep commitment to one another, um, in a way that, that feels incredibly authentic and intimate and vulnerable. And we highly regard one another's autonomy, but not at the sake of losing our, our responsibility to one another. Um, and I think those are values that are really important to both of us in our relationship is that, you know, we care for each other, we love each other, we support each other. And what does that look like in action? You know, and we really prioritize what does that look like in action? And when whatever we are doing needs to shift, we talk about that too and practice that too and fumble around and, you know, all of, all of that. So, you know, that intentionality piece, the vulnerability, and then the, the commitment. And I think we talked about the other day, how like, it feels like we've moved from like friendship, um, into this space of kinship and what that means and how that is different for us. Um, how that enables us to integrate more of our liberation type values and practices into our relationship. It really feels like we're shifting the culture, like our, our inner landscape and, and our, you know, social culture around what relationship is, you know, um, it's very different. It, it feels, it feels very different and radical when I don't think it really should be radical, you know, um, but it is in a, in a society that doesn't prioritize that. So how do you experience that stuff? Like our intentional process and, and commitment? You know, I, I really do feel a sense of commitment and I think it's interesting because I think in our society, we really put commitment in relationship more on romance and more on family. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I think we should feel a sense of commitment to the people that are central to our lives, regardless of the shape of that relationship. And it's really been a very expansive experience for me to feel the sense of commitment to you and to our relationship that I do. Um, and yeah, that the sense of moving to kinship, um, from something that, you know, we know culturally as friendship, there is a difference. Um, there is an accountability there. And I find myself holding myself accountable to you, to our relationship. And I I find that spilling over to my other relationships as well. Um, Mm -hmm. relationships that I've had, um, my entire life that I have never approached in a liberatory way because I, you know, I I wasn't aware that that was a possibility. And now I'm approaching those differently. And I am, you know, I, the, the influence that our kinship has had over my entire definition of what it means to be in relationship and to show up in relationship 
it's, it's all shifted and it's made such a huge impact in my life. That's sort of rippled outward. Um, it's been really, really incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel the same. I feel the same. Something else that we were talking about the other day is, and we talk about often is how this practice also helps us to refine our accountability um, process. I don't know, our accountability to not just our, our accountability to one another, our, the, the responsibility we have in our relationship, the impact that our presence and actions have on one another and the people around us, right? Because if I impact you, then that could also impact the other folks in your life, depending on what's happening. And so we're able to take, you know, that responsibility um, to a level that, that feels very, it feels very good. It feels joyful. And so we're able to practice what accountability means um, and not just, you know, accountability, what happened, you know, in the sense of what happens if we cause harm or what happens if we make a mistake or if we're in conflict, not just that, but our commitment and, and our responsibility to one another in co-creating our relationship, right? Like, because we are committed to remaining in this relationship, um, until it no longer works for either one or both of us for whatever reason, right. Which hopefully is never, hopefully that never happens, but it might, right. Like it might, we could grow apart. I don't know, hopefully not, but (laughs) that's the other thing. We don't like hold on to each other to the point of like, no, we can't, you know, you're, you're my friend forever. You know, it's like, no, we, we, we hold gently to one another, but fiercely. Um, and that allows us to be, present with one another through the really hard and challenging times that we're going through either together or separately. And then we have this sense of, since we are really committed to various aspects of, you know, anti-oppression, personal work and, um, you know, quote, professional work, we're able to also, um, invite one another into our own accountability processes when it comes to that, right? So our accountability to showing up for, um, you know, queer and trans justice, um, disability justice, racial justice, you know, all all the things, um, we're able to be part of that accountability for one another, checking in, exploring things together, watching media, art, like all kinds of things that help us deepen our practice with those things. And also, you know, we are pretty solid with, um, being aware of what's going on in our own relationship dynamics. So, you know, what, what is being perpetuated within our relationship? Um, and if we say the wrong thing, um, or not the wrong thing, if we say something, um, that is a product of our oppressive conditioning, right? Whether it be um, a comment that is rooted in white supremacy or a comment that is rooted in fat phobia or a comment that is rooted in even queer transphobia, right? Like, so there's lots of internalized stuff. Um, We're able to pause and reflect and, and realize, oh gosh, like that's, that, 
that just happened. And I don't notice that I have a major defensive response when that happens. If I catch myself like, uh, hold on, I'm getting into a territory here of, um, you know, oppressive conditioning. I need to step back and figure out like what it is that's going on with me, um, where that's coming from, how to like what harm reduction strategy to engage in, and then um, approaching you in figuring out like what, how you've been impacted, acknowledging my mistake or acknowledging the harm or the hurt, and then figuring out what that repair looks like. And sometimes it's just, you know, a quick apology and a commitment to, you know, slowing down our language, slowing down when we're talking to each other or acknowledging when we are feeling quite activated, maybe stressed or anxious or, you know, whatever it is. And then being able to say that like, okay, this is what's happening for me. So I need to slow myself down so that I can be more aware of what I might be thinking or saying, because I I've said this before, we've talked about this, the more pressure we feel, more stress, more pressure, more distress, um, the easier it is to kind of default in our language and default in, in our way of showing up. And the default is not super great, you know, that default social, um, interacting. So I feel like we do, I've been talking forever, but I feel like we do have that space and that we make that space for each other. And we're also very intentional about it, right? We say like, can we practice this together? Um, we're trying to swap out this language for something else and we will do it together and we will refine and get more, right? Like, what do we really mean by saying this word that is typically dehumanizing or harmful for a certain group of folks, right? What do we actually mean? What is a, a word that can describe the sensation in our body, the feeling, the thought, the phenomena, like whatever it is that's going on. And so we're very intentional about practicing that stuff. And we know, right? Like those harmful behaviors are not quote safe in our relationship. We're not going to let it slide. Um, but we are safe together in holding ourselves accountable and pointing it out like, Hey, you know, <laughs> that word, there's that word again. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I don't feel like a defensive response coming up and a need to like cover up what I've done out of like shame or guilt or defensiveness. It's like, here it is. And sometimes it's nerve wracking and scary, but because we have intentionally built, you know, trust and care in our relationship, it feels a lot easier to do that. And then I build the confidence to do that in other relationships. And that doesn't necessarily matter on the intimacy of those other relationships, right? Like we can continue to be aware and cognizant and slow ourselves down, um, um, in all relationships, like that's accessible. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. All of that. Um, you know, you said something earlier that really resonated and it was, um, how we hold our relationship gently, but fiercely. Um, and that's how I feel about the, the accountability and the recognition of the impact and, defensiveness and all of those things. Um, I feel like our relationship is a safe environment in which to confront the things that we have been conditioned into, the oppressive ideals of white supremacy and capitalism and ableism and all of the all of the things, right? Um, we have created 
a space between us where if one of us does, you know, say or do something that, um, that is out of alignment with our values um, in liberatory practices, we can either point it out to the other, or if, you know, if, if I do or say something and I realize it, um, I agree when you say the defensiveness is so much less in a relationship like this, because I know that, you know, my heart and you know, my, um, my values, and that doesn't give me a pass either. And I think a lot of the time in, in relationships, um, that are particularly close, I think often, we feel like we don't have to address things like that, that may slip out or behaviors that may come up because the other person knows us. Right. And like, oh, they know, I don't mean anything by it. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I love that in our relationship. I, I know that of course, if you say something that is, you know, slips out, that feels harmful to me. Right. I know that you don't mean it. And I appreciate that you can say, oh, wow, that just came out. That was, you know, um, I, I think, I think that's a really important balance, giving each other the benefit of the doubt, knowing that we know each other and also taking accountability and expecting accountability, mm-hmm. um, when things do happen and it's not, I mean, they don't happen often. You know, we were talking the other day, like, have we ever really had a conflict? Like not, not really, you know, mm-hmm. um, not a big rift or anything like that. Um, right. but I think that fear of conflict comes up so often and it does breed defensiveness in a lot of relationships Mm -hmm. and, um, embracing conflict more as opportunity, um, in our relationship. And when I say conflict, I'm not talking about a, a, a fight or an argument. We've never had anything like that, but even those moments where if I say something, you know, I, I remember I said something about, I think I was complaining about being too white to get a tan or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I thought about it, you know, and then I was like, oh man, that was maybe harmful given that I'm white and you're not. And, you know, maybe there's some accountability to be had here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of just avoiding the situation, feeling awkward about it and thinking, oh, you know who I am, you know, that I, mm-hmm. that I'm not whatever. Right. I said, Hey, you know, that thing I said, if that was harmful, I'm really sorry. I, you know, and, and we talked about it and Mm -hmm. that, you know, I think experiences like that, we we are so often kept from experiences like that because we fear conflict so much. Um, you know, the fear of conflict is a defining characteristic of white supremacy culture, and it leads Mm -hmm. to defensiveness and it leads to silence around things that we really should be talking about. Mm -hmm. And I love that in our relationship, we can talk about those things and it doesn't have to be a a big deal either. Um, it's a conversation and Mm -hmm. it feels so free and beautiful. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I just want to say, you know, you, you didn't just apologize and say, Hey, if that was hurtful, you named why it was problematic you know, you named that, um, the privilege that you have to be able to get a tan, to be more tan. And it's you're as white people, white people are rewarded for getting a tan, you know, and there's, there's entire lines of self tanning products and you don't experience the, 
um, you don't experience the, uh, the oppression and the harm and the violence that um, black folks um, and you know, brown folks and other people of color experience if they get quote too dark, you know, like there's, I remember growing up, I didn't want to be too dark, you know, so don't be in the sun too much, which I loved being outside. So that wasn't a, a thing, but I, I just knew, um, based on my experiences out in the world that if I get too dark, that's bad, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but a white person getting darker is good. And Mm -hmm. so you pointed that out very pointedly, very explicitly. So it wasn't just, oh, I'm sorry that I caused, you know, if I caused harm, you said, what I said is problematic and harmful because of X, Y, Z reasons. And I know that. So, you know, I'm sorry for that. You know, there was no, if, you know, I'm sorry, if I caused harm, because you knew like this, even if I, I personally wasn't hurt by it. I mean, honestly, I didn't even catch it at first, (laughs) you know, it was in a voice message. And so I'm just like listening to the voice message, doing my thing. And then it wasn't, I mean, I noticed what you said, right. I, oh yeah, getting a tan, blah, blah, blah. I'm so used to people getting a tan that you're talking about their tans that I don't, it's something that I'm just like, whatever, you know, it's just like, (laughs) I pick my battles. Um, and so I honestly, most of the time it just goes in one ear out the other, but, um, you took full accountability of like, of why the, you, you were able to, to acknowledge, you know, and learn beforehand too. Right. Like, so you already knew that this type of thing is not okay. Or like why it can be harmful or how it's weaponized, right? Like how tanning is weaponized, um, for folks with darker skin, you know, I benefit from colorism, um, in ways where I can get a little darker, you know, um, and be relatively okay, relatively protected from comments or, or things, not always, but, um, I don't, I'm, I'm not, you know, my skin is a little lighter, um, being black biracial and I don't have super dark skin. So I do benefit also, like I have a a safety, with regard to tanning that other folks of color don't have. So, um, but yeah, you knew beforehand, like why that's not okay. And then you made a decision to be like, I am not going to, you know, I need to explore. I think you even talked about, I need to explore my relationship to getting tan. Like, what is that about? Why do I even need to do that? You know, like what, what is that? Is there, you know, what can I learn about, you know, tanning? Like, is it even okay? Right. So you were just became really curious about like, is this even something I should be doing? You know, like, is it not even safe for my body to like expose it to more UV rays just to be darker? Like, what is that? (laughs) You know? So I remember you did that and you didn't make the, the issue about you either. You just very clearly said like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then when I responded, right, then we engaged in a conversation and you made further commitments. Like I'm going to explore why I'm doing this. Right. And then it, I mean, it never came up again. Right. And mm-hmm. so you decided like, Meh, you know, I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to worry about tanning because it's really not, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, it was definitely, um, an acknowledgement and a shift that, that showed me your, um, like your realness in that, you know, and, and also like, <clears throat> I just want to say, you said that sometimes we may say things that we don't mean, you know, and we know each other. I'm like, I I know that, you know, they don't mean that. I know that she doesn't mean that, but sometimes we do mean it. 
Mm. right? Like you, you did mean to get a tan, Mm -hmm. right? You did mean that. So sometimes we mean what we say. And sometimes we say things out of spite or anger or whatever. Like, so some, those are still real. And, um, and in those moments, there's a part of us that means it. Even if we take a moment to, um, ground ourselves to take care for our, of ourselves and get to a place of emotional connection within ourselves and one another to where we are more fully ourselves, um, our full self. And we can ex- explore and understand like where that came from, like, where did that perspective or that hurt, like that action come from? And so sometimes we do, sometimes we do mean it. And so there's that too, mm-hmm. like neither we're still human. We don't dehumanize ourselves and to the point of like, I don't mean every single hurtful thing that comes out of my mouth, like, or every action I take. Absolutely. There's a part of us that might mean it. I think what this, I think what we're kind of getting into is this idea of this shift from like our impact, the shift from blame and, um, who's the guilty party, right. That's so rooted in carceral ways of relating, Mm. right? Like if I'm guilty and I'm to blame, I'm likely going to experience distancing, disconnection. Um, we might lose our friendship, right? Like I'm going to be punished in some way. Um, and so then we want to rid ourselves of that, like to blame, well, they didn't mean it right. Because we're not super skilled as a collective anymore. We're not super skilled at, at moving through that from a decarceral way right? We're so used to the carceral way of punishment and monitoring and policing and controlling, and then disappearing each other, either through like legit incarceration, or we just toss each other out of our lives, right? Sometimes we do need our relationship to end, right? Sometimes that is the best thing for the situation or the people involved, but often, right? We can have this emotional exiling that happens too. Um, you know, and holding these resentments and stuff, because we're so used to the punishment and all the things that happen. And this is probably a different conversation for another time, (laughs) but like, we don't, you know, I, I don't think that we do that. Although I am afraid of it, right. Because we haven't Mm -hmm. had a big, I, I, you know, here's the other thing before I say this, we both know that we can cause harm. Right. Yeah. We've never promised each other. I have promised to never hurt you. Like mm. we can't make that promise. You know, we also don't promise. I'm never going to leave you. <laughs> right. Yeah. We don't make promises we can't keep. Um, and so because those promises continue a dynamic of control, right. I don't want to lose you. So I'm going to control you. Um, and I don't want to lose you in this specific way. So I'm going to control you. Um, and we don't do that, I think, on a regular basis. I think it comes up sometimes, like in a panicky <gasps> <gasps> moment or something. But like we are able to um, to not do that as of now. And but I am afraid, right? Like what mm-hmm. what happens? Like am I gonna am I gonna am I gonna go into that like fear or that process where you know I might not be embodied or I might you know, um, go into a trauma response of like fawning or something like that. That's seems to be my body's favorite is fawning. Um, (laughs) um, and so, you know, but we talk so much about fawning in different contexts. Like I 
you know, I, I think I would be able to say I'm fawning right now. And that that's giving me information about something in our relationship. But the other thing is like, it feels our relationship feels very generative. So we might have, we might not have had conflict, big conflicts, big disruptions. Um, but there's absolutely been opportunities for a conflict in like perspective and, um, like, a Oh, shit. Like, I feel really, I don't know what to do here, you know, or, um, there's a, a new perspective where I need to shift how I show up and really honor these needs that I, that I think I can meet these needs in this way. And I agreed to do that. So, you know, or just like, I have to do that as a person, right. When it comes to like respecting and honoring one another's identities and how we need to be, um, perceived and held and, and addressed and all of those things. So it's like, no, I have to be, you know, like I cannot, <laughs> you know, I cannot mess this up. Um, you know, and then breathing and relaxing, but getting into a place of like, how do we, you know, how do we hold that knowing that like, oh gosh, like this is scary. And I've noticed we just, we just kind of do it right. Like I'm, I can think of a couple of times where it's like, I'm just really fawning. I don't know. Or like, I noticed I'm operating on this assumption and I'm telling you that this is what the assumption is. Or, you know, am I on the right track? Am I way off? Right. So yeah, there's those things of like, it's generative, even though we might have a, a rupture one day, I'm afraid of the carceral thing showing up. But that fear is not as big as my trust in the generative nature of our relationship already, right? Like it will, I think it will be okay. You know, like we might stumble. Um, it might be really hard and painful. There could be tears. There could be, you know, desire, anger. I don't know, but I feel as though we would be able to move through that, especially because we have other people in our lives to guide us through who are also committed to some form of like liberationship, <laughs> you know, I have other folks that I can be like, keep me in this, you know, help me stay within these, this safety net of like, the world is not going to fall apart over this. Please remind me what's important. You know, like, I mean, here's an example. Like we, I had a conflict with a close person not long ago and you, rather than going into drama with me that would take me out of my values and kind of just like want to, you know, bash this other person or like say these things or like just only go with my assumptions or, or fears and stuff. Like you help me maintain you and others help me to maintain like a, a orientation towards what I really wanted to come of this, what I really needed to say, what needs I really had so that I could move through this situation with this other person with, um, you know, collaboration and, you know, remembering like what, you know, we are still in deep relationship with each other. So let's not throw that away. Cause my default is to bail, right? Like, bye. Mm -hmm. Like I'm done with this one way or another, right. I might bail on an intimacy level. I might, you know, just whatever, like I'm out of here like that, you know, I will flee or fawn like that's it. Um, <laughs> so you know, you keep me, you helped, you help that process. Right. So then I know like, okay, if it is, we get to the point where we say, or do something that creates a rupture. Okay. I have a history now with you that I don't think that all of a sudden your entire 
way of showing up to the relationship is going to change, right? Even though my trauma and my fear might be telling me otherwise, right? Like you better go now, (laughs) Allie's gonna, you know, (laughs) but like, that's how I experience. Like there is room for conflict because it's generated. Our relationship generates life and it generates, um, our, autonomy and our interdependence and our ability, not our ability, our birthright to be completely ourselves and human and not, you know, it is a place where we can practice something new, even for the first time or for the 120th time. So it feels generative and we can, we have lots of ideas And so we play with those ideas a lot, um, and see how it works. So, yeah, I don't know if that resonates, how that resonates for you. It does resonate. Um, I, I think about that sometimes too. What if, what if, you know, what if there's a rift, what if there's a rupture, what if something happens, what would I do without Robin? Oh my gosh. You know, (laughs) um, and when I, when I really think about that, I realized that this relationship is one I feel the safest in to experience conflict Um, because of the way that we have shown up. We have a history of showing up um, in ways that allow me to trust. Like you said, that trust is bigger than the fear Mm -hmm. that if something were to happen, we would get through it, you know? Um, And if we decided we couldn't, we would honor, we would honor that, right? Mm -hmm. We would honor the relationship that we had had and, you know, everything we got out of it and everything we put into it and, you know, move forward in a way that really respected each other's autonomy and sovereignty and all of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I trust that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really remarkable, I think to, for me anyway, because I've never experienced that level of trust before, um, before the last few years in any relationship. Um, the level of trust that whatever happens, even if it were to come down to a split from the relationship itself, it could be done in a way that still felt generative and healing and healthy and compassionate and kind, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I have this, so I, as you know, I had some challenging romantic relationship experiences over over the last couple of years. And I mean, between my healers and you and other close um, kin, and I just worked through so much trauma stuff really that was coming up in those contexts. And, you know, I shifted. That's when I would say the end of 2020 is when I was like, wait a second. I think that my distress um, kind of like this existential distress I was having was like, I wasn't applying my, um, liberation and abolitionist values and praxis to my relationships, right? Like, so here I am out in the world, right? Like doing this from a therapeutic perspective, doing this, like, you know, with, um, like teaching and consulting. And like the issue was like, I didn't, I wasn't putting all of these things in an intentional way in my actual relationships. And, and, you know, real, and then also under applying lots of stuff around boundaries and like communicating. I mean, these are all things that I kind of pull into liberatory relationship, but, um, 
you know, uh, there's just, it wasn't like I wasn't doing it at all, but I wasn't, I wasn't really prioritizing it. And so when I did, you know, so many things changed. I invited people into conversations, right? Like let's talk about conflict, right? Like we have been friends for 12 years. We have yet to talk about how we move through. Like, what do you really need? Like, what does accountability look like? How are we not showing up fully? Because we're afraid that if we do with one another, that there will be a a break or a disconnection. What are we withholding from each other? Because we haven't been explicit about the potential harm or the dynamics that we don't talk about that we need to talk about, right? I'm in relationship with lots of folks that have different identities than I have, that have different experiences than I do. And some experience more and less oppression in different ways. And we don't, we hadn't talked about it, right? We didn't talk about our roles in that, in the relationship. And, um, talking about needs and, you know, access. And and I definitely want to make sure we, we talk about this before we go, but that shift was incredibly profound for me. It changed everything. It changed completely how I show up. And so I think about a podcast that I listened to a while ago and we'll have to find it and put it in the show notes, but I think it was with, um, Thea Monier and Akila S Richards, and they were talking about bravery and bravery in this context in the conversation was not at almost, it was not safety. Wasn't in there at all. Lack of fear wasn't in this definition or this experience of bravery. It was moving forward toward liberation, toward a liberatory way of being with one another, um, and centering all the, the reasons why we move toward liberation joy, peace, rest, beauty, creativity, life, care, right? Like all of these things, like the why, like what is liberation? Moving toward that, knowing that the path is inherently unsafe, knowing that there are so many obstacles, right? The greater culture does not want, you know, that big of a change, right? Like we naturally kind of resist change, you know, because this change has been told that we've been told that change is scary and bad and hard and whatever, and we might lose, we might lose so much, so much connection and belonging by making these liberatory changes, right? That's what we've been told. But if we, I don't believe that anymore, but moving toward liberation requires bravery because it is going to be hard. We are going to experience a lot of pushback. We are going to be asked to be, to humanize ourselves and one another in ways that we're not used to all the time. And that is fucking scary. And that level of intimacy is hard. And, you know, also we are going to be asked to shift our values and perspectives in the way that we show up. And so we might lose certain relationships, right? We might lose relationships with folks that do not want to work toward liberation for oppressed folks right? We may lose those relationships, but we, what I found is through that bravery, I'm doing it for the sake of liberation. I'm doing it for the sake of the well-being of people, the sovereignty of people, and therefore it's worth the risk. And that is bravery. And what I have found is a truer sense of belonging with people, a truer sense of community and what that means. I have yet to lose a thing, Mm. right? I have yet to lose a thing. I haven't lost a single part of myself. I haven't lost any relationship that, that matters. Right. And in fact, even the relationships I have lost or have shifted, I honor their humanity in a way that I didn't before. 
right? I learn not to dehumanize people anymore. And that is a practice. But one thing that we do in that is we really center care and our access to one another and access to like what it is that we need from the relationship, what we, how we are in relationship with each other. Um, and from our environments, right. To like, Hey, I'm coming into town. Like, Oh shoot. Like we can't really hang out because, you know, higher risk levels with COVID or, you know, other things. So like really thinking ahead of time of our impact, right. Uh, in one another's lives. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about what we need emotionally, what we need physically, what we need when we're struggling with mental health, what we need, right. If we're, if we're having a hard time because our neurodivergence is running amok, right. Like, (laughs) right. We like, and centering our access and care needs in our relationships helps to tear down the idea that we're entitled to one another in whatever way that we want right? Mm. If I'm centering those needs with you and you're centering those needs with me, it's a, it's a clear distinction in my body. It's in a very embodied practice. I'm not entitled to quote, know what's best. I'm not entitled to just encroach on your space or whatever in any way I want, just because I want to, or if I want access to you in this way, and if that's not working for you and not what you want, I'm not entitled to that. So centering those needs, centering our needs and the needs of our relationship, right. Helps me to no longer be in a relationship with a sense of entitlement, you know, and I have to very clearly state what my needs are or be like, I think this is a need. I'm not quite sure. And this might be how this need can be met. Like, can we try that? What do you think? Are you open to that? What are your ideas? Right. And then when we get a yes, like we're consenting right to meet a need, then we work to meeting, to meet that need. And we're able to shift things. If it's not working out or like, Hey, you know, I can't, I can't use this strategy right now to meet the need because I'm exhausted or, you know, whatever, whatever, how about this instead? Or do you have any other ideas, right? Those things really help me to not move with entitlement and control or with a carelessness either. You know, and I feel that is something that I receive from you as well. I'm glad you feel that way. I, yeah, I, it definitely feels reciprocal to me. And, you know, I, I do feel very much like you take my needs into account. Um, I remember that when you were coming into town and, you know, you explicitly said, you know, I'm going to be there and I would love to see you. And I understand that you're high risk from COVID and I will have been traveling. And if you can't or don't want to, or don't feel safe getting together, that's totally fine. And honestly, no one else in my life has ever shown that kind of, of care in a situation like that, um, with regard to COVID risk and all of that. And I felt so cared for in that moment because I had expressed to you before my need to feel like people care about, you know, the impact that COVID has or could potentially have on me because of my high risk status Mm -hmm. and being able to communicate that need with you and then have you see that need and really honor it in, in the moment. And then multiple times later on throughout our relationship has been really validating. Um, and I, you know, there's, 
I, I think what it comes down to is really paying attention um, because we don't always sit down and have conversations and say, okay, these are my needs, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we can pay attention and I can see if you tell me about a situation you've had with someone else where your needs weren't being met, I can then understand, oh, these are Robin's needs, right? I understand this. And I can use that information later. And I think we both do that. And I think in that way, you know, explicit conversations and just paying attention, I think we can figure out what each other's needs are, do our best to meet them. And, and like you said, find that, that, you know, it's not entitlement and it's also not carelessness. There's a really nice balance in the middle. And I think we, we do a really great job in our kinship of being in that, in that balanced space. And it feels wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, I'm wondering if folks are thinking like, I wonder if there's anyone out there questioning, like, what's the difference between like, do, do you ever feel like there's more ambiguity in terms of boundaries, right? Like where I begin and you end where, no, where I end and you begin, (laughs) (laughs) um, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you know, I, you know, oh, it's codependency. And I would say this, um, there's an airplane overhead. Um, I would say that in the context of liberatory relationship, the important thing um, when it comes to when it comes to being in community and collective care, is that um, boundaries are highly prioritized, and um, yet in a I think in a different way than um, what we have kind of been taught or shown, like what boundaries mean. And we can talk about that another time. But um, something that I've noticed is that you know interdependence requires solid boundaries. Um, that are solid, firm, and, and at the same time, like malleable, flexible, right? Because time, um, over time, relationships shift and change, needs shift and change. And so our boundaries shift and change accordingly um, with care. And so I would say for me, this is one of the relationships, I have a few where I feel the most, like where I feel I haven't lost myself in the relationship to a degree where that feels, you know, like, oh, that's not good. You know, like, I feel like we always kind of in any relationship we're close to, we can like immerse ourselves in it and, and lose bits of ourselves. And maybe that's necessary, right? Maybe there's bits of ourselves that, that need to shift and change in relationship. But I, I, this is one where I don't feel that at all. You know, I don't feel concerned about, um, gosh, are we going to suddenly be codependent? You know, like, oh my gosh. And I, for the record, I really dislike our understanding, our Westernized understanding of codependency, um, and relational intimacy. Um, we definitely need to talk about that, but, um, I would say that in this context, in a liberationship, you know, it, it, what is prioritized is interdependence and within the con within the framework of interdependence, is autonomy, sovereignty, boundaries, and commitments to meeting the needs of the relationship, the intimacy needs, all types of intimacy needs, right? Like um, emotional intimacy, um, intellectual intimacy, physical intimacy, whatever that looks like, right? Like that is all part of interdependence. And so, you know, 
interdependence without boundaries is not interdependence necessarily. I don't want to make it that binary. Actually, I think we need to practice at it, right? Like I, I, it's Mm -hmm. a practice and we design with each relationship, what that means, right? What are the boundaries of this relationship? What do I need, um, to maintain relationship with you, um, and relationship with myself and, and feel that good. Like I can, I can maintain that level of intimacy without completely losing myself or forgetting who I am in the context of this relationship. So I just wanted to make sure we said that before, before we ended. Um, yeah. And I really thank you so much for having this conversation with me and, um, yeah, building this, um, liberationship kinship together. (laughs) Likewise. Um, it's been such a pleasure talking about our relationship. Um, and you know, here and all the other times we've done it. Um, it's really, yeah, it's an honor to be here. So thank you so much. Yes. All right. We'll catch you later. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode, our season one bonus episode conversation with Allie. And I hope that you loved it. I hope you gained a little bit of insight into a few of the elements of our relationship that feel very liberatory and the ways in which we integrate our values and principles around liberation into our relationship and I hope it was inspiring. Uh, Stay tuned because I have another bonus episode to share with you very soon. As a reminder, Liberation Labs Radio is recorded and produced by myself, Robin Morning and Allie Owens. We are creating and distributing this podcast from unceded ancestral lands of the Arapaho, Ute, and Cheyenne nations, also known as Northern Colorado, one of the most beautiful places on earth, where we are learning what it means to be stewards and caregivers of the land and one another. Thank you so much for tuning in. Catch you soon.